brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi there, I'm oh hi there, I'm Chris Stashew. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. And we are the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a once a month look at the Twilight Zone 1985, or Father Malone's favorite reboot of the show. On this episode, we are gonna be taking a look at season two, episode ten and eleven. I guess that I it, we're we're at the point now where I don't understand the numbering system here, so let's just call this 10 and 11, but this episode is split into three three parts. Joyride, Shelter Skelter, and Private Channel. So Joyride is the first segment. It is directed by Gil Bettman, written by Cal Willingham, and it stars Rob Nepper, Brooke McCarter, and Heidi Kozak. And um, it's about two couples that hotwire a classic car. This car is not called Christine. No, it's it sure isn't, but it sure should be, right? Or it's six. actually closer to a Buick Eight. Yeah, yes. oh yeah, it sure is. Uh, it's um, I, it's a, it's eleven minutes long. So just a heads up as we get ready to talk about this. This is one of these buffer segments, um, and it feels like it, but not in a bad way. I thought it was a lot more than eleven minutes, maybe because it dragged. It was nice seeing Rob Nepper, uh, a very young teabag i it took me a while before i actually actually recognized him teabag yeah teabag in, um, from prison, prison break. break oh no i never watched he would get invited on to talk shows because that show was so big and they'd be like you play the character teabag what does your nickname come from uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and uh, what i've been told is when you dip a uh, dip your balls in a freak's mouth that's what i was yeah. told Oh, yeah. I, I've seen Pecker. I know. Squat over and dip him in a freak mouth. <laughs> yeah. Actually, a good friend of mine was teabagged in that movie. 
my friend Scott Huffhines. Scott Unpainted Huffhines is one uh, of yeah. the guys getting teabagged at the uh, bar where, oh, uh, what is that woman's name? Martha Plimpton, where she works. I think your friend ought to change his name to Arizona. He, he when I first met him and his name was, and I found out his last name was Huffhines, I said, do you go by the name Unpainted Huffhines? And he said, <laughs> I've always wanted to, but I didn't think anybody would get that joke. So then he started using Unpainted. I was very happy about that. There you go, Mike. You're making the, joy. Make, the, make the change you want to be in the world, right? See the change you want to be in the world? This, yeah. this segment's, the segment is weird because the story that it's telling doesn't have a conclusion. It does have a conclusion. It's just that it's wrapped up in expositional dialogue that none of the characters would have understood or fathomed at the moment it was happening. That's why I'm not giving uh, the episode credit as having an ending. Because that's, yeah, I mean, that's not good. That's not good enough. That is such a like no. lantern hanging bullshit way of ending the episode. He's like, uh, this must have been his confession. Like, who the fuck? How the fuck did you know that? Do you what? How did you know? Like, did you know him? No. What the right. fuck conclusion are you jumping to? Because that's a that's a jump to conclusions if I've ever seen one. Did not you guys, uh, skillfully made. Did you guys notice the world that these four characters live in? before they jump into this car it's like some sort of weird post-apocalyptic world like there's newspapers everywhere on the ground i was just like what is going on this was like did they forget to clean up the set or are we supposed to like think this is spooky because there's paper all over the ground i was like what is happening here they were like well this Uh, is the back lot somewhere so just throw a bunch of random uh pieces of set around and hopefully people won't ask too many questions sure yeah i mean I got the idea that they were trying to tell us that these were kids from the bad part of town. Right. Uh, But but also the set decorator going, Jesus Christ, how many times are we going to use this back lot? Like, let's try and do something different with it. It's not the worst of these buffer episode segments that we've seen, but I'm glad that it's 10 minutes or 11 minutes. Like, I am so glad. I I liked the concept that that while they were in the past, the car is bombing around the streets and doing all these crazy things, and then in the present, the car is still stationary. Like yeah. that for some that was that was kind of cool. But um, I, I, you know, I think it actually would have been better longer and with a better director because the action scenes are not very thrilling at all, and we because they have it at a 10 minute length we don't really get to know anything about any of these characters and what's going on i mean was robert nepper's character was he possessed of the other guy that, yes i would assume I, so i mean i'm I, i'm hoping that because otherwise you know he just like randomly shoots cops in the face uh, <laughs> and doesn't have doesn't have to pay for that uh, i certainly thought the episode took a a a wild turn <laughs> once he executed the guy pulling him over um, You're not acting uh, like yourself, I, Alonzo. I hope not. Yeah, you, yeah. The, the the guy in the back, the younger brother, that's Brooke McCarter, uh, who had very few ro- few roles, but he was a lost boy. He's one of the four lost boys. I thought he looked familiar. Yeah, he had uh, gotten himself a haircut apparently by this time. Um, okay. But uh, no, actually, uh, I think yeah, I think he did this directly after the Lost Boys because it's around the same time frame. So, uh, and I thought he was pretty good in this actually. I mean, he wasn't given much to do. I frankly don't think anyone other than Rob Nepper was given anything to do. And even what Rob Nepper is doing is just kind of act weird, man, and act confused, right? 
Pretty much. To act against yeah. what the characters believe your type is, even though we don't know what his personality is, other than the characters saying that's not the way he normally is. Okay? Yeah. This yeah, isn't it doesn't, like uh, you, man. <laughs> Was it like him to steal the car in the first place? I guess so, because he's a bit of a prankster. <laughs> it feels like starter it, yeah. pistol. Hilarious! <laughs> isn't it funny to point guns at your friends? Uh, Younger brothers. Yeah. No, it's not. Don't do that. Ever. Starter pistol. Yeah. Uh, let's talk to Brandon Lee all about guns that aren't actually loaded and how dangerous they are or aren't. Like, it's, it's fucking weird. This whole segment's just weird. And I, I, I wish I wish we could talk to Cal Willingham and ask him, like, what what was the influence for this? Because I would love to know where he got this idea from. Because I bet it was like when he was a kid growing up, he saw some old car parked in a driveway and was like, wouldn't there be an interesting story to tell off of this? It's like, I guess, but I'm not sure this is this is that story. Yeah. You know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the interstitial uh, segments are clearly made for that. Um, Like they got. Uh, I, I don't think there was a paring down process, like somebody submitted a full script. I get the sense that this was somebody tried to get a full half hour made and they went, no, just cut it down to 10 minutes and we'll stick it in there. I'm glad they did. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, not great. It's, it, 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 it made okay. more time for something like Shelter Skelter. So there is that at least. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, th- that is a positive because I'm not sure this needed more time, but I don't think Shelter Skelter could have used any less time. So, shall we move on to Shelter Skelter? Sure. Yes. So let's talk about the next segment, Shelter Skelter. So, Shelter Skelter is directed by Martha Coolidge, written by Ron Cobb and Robin Love. Yes, that Ron Cobb. And it stars Joe Montaigne uh, and a very, very, very young John Grease, though I guess you could make the case it's a very young Joe Montaigne as well. And Joe Montaigne is a QAnon supporter, and he has a Fallout Shelter. And uh, he goes completely uh, off the grid with his buddy once the nuclear holocaust happens. I thought you were saying does that it? he really was. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, look, he is a fuck. I mean, look, that's the thing about this episode that is like unapologetically hilarious in 2021 is it totally is just roasting people who are like this. And these people have proven themselves to be a lot more prevalent than a lot of people in polite society thought they were. And it's well, funny yeah, to watch this story play out the way it plays out. I remember watching this episode back when it aired, and the concept of the survivalist was one that was in the air, but it wasn't like I ever had any interaction or uh, like uh, definitely set my eyes on these people. But uh, nowadays, holy shit, yeah, you definitely could have made this today. It makes this episode a little more prescient than it uh, intended to be, maybe. Well, that we had a whole show called Doomsday Preppers. It's like, holy shit, these people oh, are yeah. very prevalent. Okay. Yikes. Yeah. Like I don't yeah. know I don't know any, but I'm I'm sure that I know people who know people that are. So I would stake my life on it that I at least have a close connection who knows someone like this. And I mean I I, I know people, you know, people that live in my neighborhood and other folks that are Trump, you know. Trump supporters and, and QAnoners. So <laughs> this is, I mean, they don't say that obviously because this was made in 87, but like, again, the transitive property is still there. The paranoia is still there because it's more that this episode is more about paranoia than it is being a survivalist. It's about, you know, what happens when people are susceptible to paranoia and the lengths to which your paranoia will take you. Um, 
And I really like this segment a lot. Even it is like bleak as bleak can get until the twist ending. I like this segment a lot. It was nice um, seeing Joan Allen oh, no, in here. And I like that Joan Allen just has no time for Joe Mantegna and all of his shit. Were we to assume that she was going to divorce him anyways? I guess like that's what it seems like when he's like, come back. The world's about to end. She's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck you, pal. I don't I don't even know if it was a divorce situation. It was just a, I'm tired of your survivalist bunker bullshit. Like, uh, uh, Incessant. You know, like she, she had to drive how many hours to get to her sisters to take the kids right. out for a little while. And he's like, come back immediately because I, my, my latest paranoid fantasy might be coming true. <laughs> but like, he's in the middle of nowhere, but, but yet they're close enough to a, in a military base. Oh, I didn't get the idea that they were, uh, in the middle of nowhere. I thought they were just in a town that was yeah. close to an air base. So that town did get destroyed. Sure. But, uh, but she, she, you know, made it clear that she was driving a long way to visit her sister. So she would right. without the blast radius. So the whole episode is about Joe Montaigne's character and his friend, John Grease going into this fallout shelter after they think the, the world ends after they think the world has been turned into glass. Um, but it turns out, and I know this is going to be what we talk about probably more than most of the episode, maybe except for Joe Montaigne's performance. What do you guys think about the twist? Because the twist ends up being very similar to, and I'm sure you guys are going to love that I make this reference, the film Blast to the Past with uh, (laughs) Brendan Fraser and Christopher Walken. I mean, it it is, isn't it? Like, it's very much in the vein of, like, we are prepared for the nuclear holocaust, but... Something happens that makes us think it's the nuclear holocaust, but in actuality, it's, you know, uh, in that movie, I think it's what, like a jet that they like, the guy ejects out of and it has like a problem and it blows up their house. And then in this, it's a, a bomb goes off, a broken arrow incident where a nuke goes off by accident at the Air Force Base and it destroys the entire town. And that shocks the, the world from the brink of war. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There was a a Paul Bartel movie. Was it Shelf Life that had something of a similar premise as well? As far as like kids being raised in a bomb shelter and coming out and being not socially adjusted. And was there one like Kimmy Schmidt or something like that? The Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt was that similar as well? Yeah, they thought, yeah. yeah, yeah, they thought the world the world had ended. They had been convinced the world had ended and lived in a bunker okay. for a decade. Yeah, by John Hamm. Um, I also remember around this time, and this is, of course, at the the height of the Cold War, uh, there was an HBO movie about a a group of people who go into a bomb shelter like as an experiment, and then the... Uh, the powers that be that were doing the testing convinced them that it actually had happened just to watch their reactions. So, uh, you know, uh, this episode is not... uh, uh, like a fluke. Like, I, I think it was just a trend right. in uh, American entertainment at the time. Um, but uh, this one certainly stayed with me for years. I, you know, I, 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 I don't say I, I, I was gleeful at the, the fact that uh, Joe Mantegna ends up stuck in that bunker forever, but uh, I'm not unhappy that it did. I, <laughs> I feel bad for Jonathan Grease, who, uh, you know, should have uh, should have heeded the uh, the knocking uh, of the uh, obviously the rescuers when they came by to uh, to find any survivors, but um, 
you know, that's this. Look, John Mantegna's character clearly wanted this uh, more than anything. It sort of goes beyond paranoia. It's just dying for society to collapse in on itself so that uh, he can uh, emerge and be king. So uh, stay in that dome, sucker. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it again. It really does cut to, and I know we try not to make the pol- the politicize our podcast, but this really does, like you said, cut to the prescient nature of this podcast because a lot of it is like trying to will into existence the things that you want because right. that's what you want to happen whether or not it is actually happening is beside the point to you you want it to happen one way or another and like that's this entire episode is like your paranoia is self-serving you want the end of the world to happen so the end of the world happened even if it didn't I mean, it feels like this could be one of the original episodes. You know? Yes. Like, oh, yeah. That, that idea, the paranoia and the fear of the other, all of that stuff feels very much like Rod Serling could have been writing something like this. So, And that's what makes this to, so uh, good. Yeah. Like, I did think it was a little odd that um, as much preparation as he had done, which he, he lovingly uh, spells out for us, he didn't bother to get a radiation suit for anybody. <laughs> when it yeah. came time to venture forth. He also didn't have a better option other than lower the antennas. Yeah, yeah. Like You fool. Yeah, you didn't lower the antennas. You just showed this to him. Right. You fucking <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> I, I did like that, actually. I did like the, uh, you know, because a, a person like that would have figured out a way to receive communication. So I thought that was a clever way to knock it out immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 like, I, I like this segment. I think this is one of the better segments that we've seen this season. Um, and I think that, like you mentioned, Mike, this is one of the segments that, like, y- you you could have you could have convinced me that this was a remake of the original show. Mm-hmm. With how much this felt like just, like, a very timeless story. Because you could set it now, too. Just and oh, do yeah. the same thing. I don't know how many bomb shelters are being built these days, but yeah, definitely at the time when this was happening, like, you know, like, like Father Malone and I have been saying, we've been seeing, we were seeing this in a lot of movies. I mean, even like what Grease 2, I think had a whole bomb shelter scene as well. So it's like, it was very much part of popular culture, this idea of the bomb shelter. And I would not be surprised if, like, there were many sitcoms that had bomb shelters as a device. Well, I mean, you look at something like like the video game Fallout or other stuff. Like, the Fallout shelter thing, like, I think is a lot more popular now than it was in the 90s. But obviously in the 70s, 80s, 60s, during the height of the Cold War, like, everybody knew about it. There was no way you didn't. Um, Have you guys ever seen the film Chosen Survivors from 74? No. Uh-uh. I would recommend that you check it out. It's pretty interesting. It's like this whole idea of uh, picking the greatest minds to repopulate the Earth after the apocalypse, and they all get into this fallout shelter, and they are all set up to live. And then don't look it up, and especially don't look at the poster. Something bad happens, and it Uh turns into a whole other movie. It's really good. Oh, okay. It sounded like it sounded like that setup for that uh, boy. I don't know why I keep referencing the Simpsons. That one Treehouse of Horrors where they send Homer and Bart into the sun, and they have all the (laughs) smart people on the other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Homer and Bart are like, yeah, we got away from Earth as it's about to be destroyed, and it turns out they're on the space shuttle with like Tom Arnold 
and Roseanne and Carrot Top, <laughs> and it turned out that they're going into the sun. I see. I'm just gonna take it upon myself now, like in Red Letter Media, how they always talk about Star Trek: The Next Generation, just to stink up every podcast with Simpsons references because it's God, so. You just hate like, those Red Letter Media guys. <laughs> My God, yeah. they're such garbage. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Um, but like, but again, like even that's in the early nineties, like, and they're doing that same thing with fallout shelter. Yep. I mean, there's an episode of the Simpsons with a fallout shelter where, um, it like shows up in the last half of the episode where there's a meteorite coming and Flanders has a fallout shelter of course and he, he gets does. kicked out of his own fallout shelter. Like this fallout shelter thing is like, it's an interesting device that has come back now recently. But like, mm-hmm. I think in the late nineties, early two thousands, like nobody really talked about it. Yeah, I don't know that this if the, this wasn't going to show up in that uh, that that mid uh, reboot of the Twilight Zone. I don't think anyone right. was uh, any uh, it, the the idea of nuclear conflict and uh, and doomsday was uh, no longer floating around con- in the public consciousness. Right, it was just being driven by terrorism and xenophobia. Right. So let's talk about the final segment of this episode: Private Channel. So Private Channel is directed by once again. Uh, Peter Medak, written by Edward Redlick, and it stars Scott Coffey and uh, Andrew Robinson once again. He was in Profile in Silver last season. And uh, Scott Coffey plays a dickhead teenager with a Walkman that turns into a telepathic device. And uh, this, I will say at the start of this, this segment did not go where I was expecting. I thought this was going to be a version of the thing we saw in the reboot from 2018 with adam scott oh okay was it an airplane twilight zone yeah like and you're listening to headphones to things you shouldn't be able to hear yeah Yeah. like i was like oh is there gonna be a gremlin on the wing again like or is this like their version and did they already do it but no this this goes in a very different direction and i i really appreciated that i don't know if it works particularly well in some respects but i did appreciate it went in a completely different direction it reminds me of one of the original ones, and I think it was Dick York might have been in it, where every morning he would go to this newspaper guy and he would flip a quarter into this guy's box where he collected the money for the newspapers. And one morning he flips this quarter and it lands boop, right on its edge. And they're just like, what are the chances of that? That's a million to one. That's crazy. And then he goes into work and he starts hearing people's thoughts. And he is a works at a bank and he starts to hear these people plotting a robbery. And of course, nobody believes him. So it was kind of like this as far as like Andrew Robinson wants to blow up the plane playing into our 80s paranoia of bombers on planes, which was great. Um, but the idea of him being able to put the headphones on, on Andrew Robinson and make him hear the other people's thoughts, that was definitely a twist I didn't see coming. Yeah, I liked this episode uh, uh, a lot when I saw it, and uh, I liked it again watching it now. I think uh, uh, the I dropped my Walkman into the sink, and it got <laughs> electrified explanation is... Not necessarily something we needed, uh, but I like. Yeah, but uh, like, what were they gonna do? Like, what else could they have done? <laughs> I, I know. I, it's, it's, I mean, I agree. I agree with you. It's really dumb. But like, I if this is the story they were trying to tell, this is like less dumb than I thought. I like. I was half expecting him to be shocked by lightning through the window. <laughs> Well, you know, put me in a writer's room with uh, with uh, all the other Twilight Zone writers. I think we could have come up with something better. I, I, but that is, again, a minor quibble. That's just the MacGuffin to get the thing going, which I, right. I understand because overall I liked it. I liked what a prick 
Scott Coffey was uh, uh, for most of the episode, and uh, I thought his performance was really good, particularly once he once he realizes what he's got, um, like uh, playing into his ears, and uh, that resolution, as you said, Mike, where the 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 MacGuffin itself becomes the means with which they uh, sort of diffuse the situation. I thought was really clever. So, um, and yeah, it, it did definitely play into that paranoia at the time of you know crazy bombers taking down airplanes, um, which that would never have gone away. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was the other kind of huge bugaboo uh, in the, the the sort of mid eighties. The uh, either they're going to bomb us into into nothingness, or someone's going to bomb you when you're in an airplane. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like this episode a whole bunch. Thought it was, uh, uh, you know, if you've removed Joyride from this episode, then you've got a really solid hour of television. Uh-huh. Well, and if you remove Joyride, maybe Private Channel would have gotten a little bit more. I'm not sure it would have needed it. Uh, I, I do like how we have these, like, Andrew Robinson flashbacks that are so well done, they seem like they're from a movie we're not seeing. Uh-huh. Like, these yeah. flashbacks are really good in a way that I don't see flashbacks in a lot of things like this, where I, like, watching them, it literally feels like he's watching the movie of this guy's, like, story. And I like that about this episode segment, because you really do get the sense that there is this bigger story going on, and Scott Coffey's character, by hook or by crook or by luck itself, um, becomes the reason Andrew Robinson's plan doesn't come to fruition and I, I like that setup. I like, you know, when he's, like you said, when he's putting the earphones on him and he's hearing all this stuff and he's, like, losing his mind completely. It's really effective. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, and Robinson is just so fucking good. I just oh, always yeah. love when that guy shows up, and I was just super happy to see him show up in this. He can be really personable-looking, like in, I don't know, a profile in Silver or other things. I was going to say Dirty Harry I was just to be an asshole, but, I mean... Andrew Robinson's a great actor, and getting to see him, like, portray a character that you're not supposed to have any suspicions of initially is nice. Because uh-huh. he plays the—he can play menacing really well. Hell yes. Yeah, like yeah, and When he starts off, he's—I he, think he's sort of the proxy for the audience, right? Where right. he's just like, oh, oh, yeah. this fucking kid bouncing around and fucking hitting sticks on everything. Like, yeah, so uh, good turnaround there. And look, I'm, like you said, Mike, I'll never say no to more Andrew Robinson. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really won't. I love it. I mean, I've I've loved him as an actor since I saw Hellraiser for the first time. So um, I'm glad he oh. showed up another time. I think this is probably the only other time we're going to see him in the show. Uh, do you guys think he did a better job in this than he did in Profile and Silver? Or do you think they're about on even footing? Equal, different, yeah. different, different animals. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one you're playing JFK, the other one you're playing yeah. a crazy animal. Yeah, in the. Uh, uh, Profile in Silver, like you said, I mean, he's playing JFK, and he did a really cr- – for looking virtually nothing like JFK, yeah. uh, I think he pulled that off. So uh-huh. uh, maybe I'll say Profile in Silver is a better performance, but, you know, he's just great all around. Yeah, I would agree. And again, it's nice to see it, a, an actor that is a high-quality actor being given something interesting to do because – Similarly to our other episodes or other podcast, Chronicles from the Crypt, where we talk about Tales from the Crypt, there have been many instances on this show where you have actors we know are talented being given nothing to do. And it's Ralph a shame Bellamy, on, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame on this show. It's a shame on any anthology series, be it original Twilight Zone, Tales from the Crypt, you know, uh, 
I don't know, you could make the case for a lot of shows that do something like this. So I'm glad that this episode gives Andrew Robinson something to do again. Because if you had him show up and he did nothing the second time, I would be really disappointed given how good he was the first time. But I like this segment a lot. Yeah, Thumbs like up. Father Malone said, this was a pretty solid episode. Maybe without Troy Wright. But even then, like, we... I don't feel like we've been overwhelmingly positive a lot this season. Uh-uh. No, no, we ran into some real stinkers, especially early on. Yeah, so I'm okay with even Joyride not being the strongest of the three, with these two being as strong as they are. This has uh-huh. been one of the better episodes that we've seen this season. I agree. Totally. Yeah. So on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at episode 12 and 13 of the second season of the show. That is Time and Teresa Golowitz and Voices in the Earth. Until then, what have you been up to over at the projection booth, Mr. Mike White? What month's this come out? Well, you can find me over at the Projection Booth Podcast, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. What about you, Father Malone? Uh, check me out at fathermalone.com. You can check out my podcast's uh, half-hour radio drama called Dark Destinations. Also, hear me over for the very last time soon at Chronicles from the Crypt, the show Chris and I do about Tales from the Crypt, the television series from HBO. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus. As always, you can find this podcast on the internet at Twilight Zone 85 and at Twilight Zone 85 on Twitter as well. Big thanks, as always, to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music for the podcast, and we'll catch you on the next episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.